Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Thank you so much for Leah and all the ladies who put these together. It, it, what a blessing it is. Man, these guys take care of... Uh, we have an incredible women's ministry leader and tons of support, and we are blessed for sure. So thank you so much for that. Awesome. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 4, and, and we'll get there in a second, but I just want you to be ready. So it is uh, Mother's Day, as you know. So I say happy Mother's Day without one ounce of wokeness, folks, not even a single ounce of wokeness. Like, I don't care what the rest of the world calls this day. We're going to call it Mother's Day in the very traditional sense of the word. So, happy Mother's Day. I'll tell you what, moms are literally, and I'm not exaggerating, the most incredible people on the planet. Moms are the most incredible people on the planet. I mean, they have the hardest job this side of heaven. I mean, who else is going to wipe those snotty noses, you know? Who's, who's going to pick up the house 12 times a day over and over again, the same things, doing Mount everest size loads of laundry and dishes and these kinds of things? Man, if I'm triggering your PTSD, folks, I'm sorry. But <laughs> seriously, moms, you are so awesome. You are so awesome, and uh, I hope that you are celebrated as you should be this morning. Uh, you know, all, all through the day that you're lavished with gifts and that you are just uh, given the red carpet treatment. You deserve it. So, uh, you know, as always, probably with uh, any holiday, there's always like a gift, a card that comes with it. Sometimes it's just the card. Uh, but, but, you know, inside that card is really what matters, doesn't it? I mean, the writing, the inscription that... Uh, your children have thought all year, I mean all year about, they have been thinking about how can I express to my mother the gratitude that I have for her. And so maybe they did a little Googling like I did, and I came up with eight, uh, a list of eight inscriptions that you might have in your cards today. So if you, if you did know your kids spent zero time on that and that they just took it from Google. But here's the top eight things that you might find written in your Mother's Day card today. Number one, or actually number eight, mom, raising me took a lot of patience and strength. Thanks for hanging in there. I mean, that, that is great, isn't it? <laughs> number seven, to mom with love from your favorite child, of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't say that? Mom, sorry if I drove you crazy all these years. I only did it because I love you. Hey. Happy Mother's Day. I promise today I'll pick up my room. Maybe. Maybe. We're not sure. I wanted to get you something special this Mother's Day, so I decided to give you some peace and quiet. Wow. What a blessing. Mother's Day is every day when you have a, ch a gift of a child like me. I mean, wow. Happy Mother's Day, and thank you for your service. We salute you. I mean, your kid puts that into your card. I, I, I don't know, but this is my favorite. This is by far my favorite. Happy Mother's Day. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, literally. Amen? Man, mothers, we love you, and we want to honor you. So I'm going to ask all the mothers to stand here today, and I want us to just give them a big round of applause because they deserve it. Come on, stand up. You guys deserve it. So awesome. You mothers are awesome. And, and I'm gonna, we're going to pray for moms right now. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all the mothers in this room today. And Lord... Um, Thank you for just working in their lives, giving them all of the things that they need to, to nurture and cherish and to raise up, to bring wisdom to our families, to do that which a man can't do. Lord, we are created in your image, man and woman, and so you, you, your, your attributes are flowing through all these mothers here today, your fingerprints are all over them. They look just like you. 
So we thank you for all the moms here today, God. We pray that you would strengthen them and continue to be with them, Lord. Continue to help them not to grow weary in doing good. And Lord, to just uh, continue to cling to you, Lord, as they deliver, you know, only a mother holds on to their children. I mean, only a mother delivers a child and only a mom can holds on to their children like, uh, like they do. And so, Lord, we ask you to just help them to, to just deliver them to you. Lord, that you would uh, just continue to give wisdom and understanding and, and that you would bless them today. So, Lord, we honor them. We thank you for them. And uh, we ask for your Holy Spirit to just flood their hearts today and just continue to sustain them. Uh, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2, stand with me. We're going to read our text this morning as we continue on. Again, this is a continuation of where we, where we were in chapter 3, where the healing of the, the this is sort of the end part of that storyline. So Acts chapter 3, and uh, we will begin in verse 23, where we left off last week. Acts 4, I mean, I mean yeah, Acts 4, 23. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, see, moms are helpful. I like that. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And Lord, we, we come before you, with your, before you in your word now, and we ask you to just speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to understand what, you, what it is you want to speak to us about today. Lord, as we consider the topic of prayer and how we are to pray, Lord, lead us, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Several years ago, a man named Larry went to his church in his town, and they were having a revival, so he wanted to go. The preacher got up and gave an, a great message and gave the opportunity for people to come down for prayer afterward, and he said, I will pray for you, or you know, one of the elders will pray for you. So Larry gets in line, and he wants to respond to the message. So he comes forward, and it's his turn now, and it just so happens to be the preacher. So the preacher says to him, Larry, uh, how can I pray for you this morning? And Larry said, preacher, will you pray for my hearing? And without even saying another word, the preacher had said enough. He jumped into action. He, he stuck one of his fingers in his ear. He put his other hand on the top of his head, and he started praying like nobody's business. Larry had never heard a prayer like this before. So powerful. Lord, open up the ear canals, Lord. In Jesus' name, the blood of Jesus on Larry. Now, Lord, will you just do these things? And, Larry, and after a couple minutes of praying fervently for Larry's hearing... The pastor took his hand off out of the ear, finger out of the ear, hand off the head, stepped back, and he said, Larry, is your hearing better? And he looked at him and he said, I don't know, preacher, it's not till Wednesday. I hope I don't go to jail, though. <laughs> Christians sometimes pray for the wrong thing. We sometimes pray for the wrong thing. And what we often do is we pray for the easy thing, don't we? Let me illustrate. If you're struggling financially, usually the prayer is, Lord, provide. Lord, open up the heavens. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, Lord, reminding him of who he is, like he doesn't know. Lord, money's not a problem for you. Make it rain. Hundreds is preferable, but 20s will work too, Lord, you know. That's the wrong prayer. That's the wrong prayer. The right prayer might be something like this. Lord, make me more fiscally responsible with what you've given me. Lord, help me to be a better steward of all that you have given me. God always provides for what we need. And so oftentimes we're praying for the wrong thing. That even happens when it comes to healing. Lord, heal in Jesus' name. And then when we walk away and that healing doesn't actually come, we think like, oh, my prayer didn't work. I didn't have enough faith. Uh, all of these things. And here's what I'll tell you is, no, wrong. If you think that that stops God from working, I, I think you're wrong. At the end of the day, God is, listen to me, in control. 
and God heals when he wills. We can pray for healing, and we should. But if it doesn't come, don't assume it's a problem with you. It's just not his will. It's just not his will. That means that God doesn't always lead us down the path of least resistance. That's the path we want to go down, of course. Yeah, the path of least resistance. But what I find when I pray is oftentimes I'm going down the path of greatest resistance in my mind. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be uncomfortable, but it's in those moments, folks. Listen, that's when you grow. That is when you experience true growth. How many of you, uh, you know, have really grown tremendously on the mountaintops? I mean, you're just like, oh man, Lord, I am growing like crazy. Isn't it true that, that we all grow the most when we're in the valleys? When things are difficult, when we're experiencing hardship and oppression and, and uh, you know, opposition and all of these kinds of things, isn't that what the Bible says? Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because they produce endurance and character and hope. God uses all these things. But here, here's the, 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 everything surrounds this one particular thing, and it's called the will of God. It's called the will of God. We've been talking about this. We've been talking about, you know, God's will be done. Your will be done, Lord. Don't try and take the easy way out. Look for the most Look for the opportunity to grow in the Lord. So interesting that that's what we find in our text this morning. The disciples are coming from a place of persecution. That's a hard place to come from. I don't know if you've experienced it, but it's not fun. They're coming from a place of persecution, and their prayer is, Lord, make them stop. No, that's not their prayer. Their prayer is, Lord, Use us in the middle of it. Their prayer is, God, give us boldness and work miraculously through us in the midst of this persecution that the gospel might be going forward in power and might, just like Peter and John had done with the very people that killed Jesus, the Sanhedrin. They were being persecuted in this moment, and as they come out of that captivity, as it were, for one night... They go back to their friend's place. I don't know how many people were there, but what I know is this. They prayed for God to do a continued work in the midst of persecution. They didn't pray to get out of the trial. They prayed for boldness in the midst of the trial. Man, what if we prayed like that? That is the right prayer, folks. That is the right prayer. So oftentimes we're praying, Lord, take me down easy street, make me comfortable, and you know what happens on easy street, don't you? You know what happens when you're comfortable, don't you? Ask David, Lord, take me down easy street and make me comfortable. The next thing you know, he's killing a man and taking his wife. That's the way it works. God loves you enough to keep you in a place where you're being challenged in your faith where you're growing in your faith. You can reject it and you can go down a different path, but it will always lead to destruction. God's will is always best. He has a plan. And that's what we find in our text this morning. Uh, the title of my message is Praying the Right Prayer. I've divided these, this section of scripture up into three different portions. First, we find the occasion for the prayer, again, we read it, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, one of the most encouraging things in the body of Christ is when people go into their respective circles of life and they come back and they share what God has done in the last day, week, month, or year. They testify of how God has been working in their lives. That is so encouraging, isn't it? So encouraging to hear how God is using people in the midst of their, uh, you know, circles of life and the different places that they live. 
That's what's happening in verse 23. Peter and John now, back from their excursion, which was started out to be just to the evening prayer meeting, ended up being a night in the clink, and then, and then being, uh, you know, uh, brought before the Sanhedrin, the very people that killed Jesus. And they had an opportunity in that moment to cower or to stand. And we read last week, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with boldness, spoke the truth, the gospel truth to the Sanhedrin. Again, that took Holy Spirit generated boldness. That wasn't Peter. So oftentimes we pat each other on the back and go, oh man, you just really, you must really have a close walk with God. No, it's called the Holy Spirit working. I just yield to him and then he does the work and he should get the glory, right? Peter and John were, uh, were, were yielding to the Spirit of God. And so now they're coming to tell this story. I imagine it, it goes down something like this. John busts in the door and he goes, you guys, you guys, come here. I can't wait to tell you what just happened. Man, this is going to blow your minds. You guys know the, the, the guy that's been sitting at the gate beautiful since we were little kids? That guy can walk. He's standing. He's been strengthened. I mean, Peter, we were walking by there. Peter grabbed him, and he said, in the name of Jesus, lifted him up. His legs became strong. He was running around. Oh, my gosh. Peter pops in, and he goes, guys, you wouldn't believe it. At that moment, a big... Uh, you know, crowds surrounded us, and the next thing you know, we're standing before the Sanhedrin. And <laughs> they're not happy. They don't like the name Jesus. They don't like the resurrection of the dead. And so they kept us overnight. That's where we've been. And Peter goes, but we got an opportunity to speak the gospel to the very people that killed Jesus. And John, John pops and he goes, you guys, you would not believe the face of Caiaphas. When, Ka when Peter said, and you killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead, he, it was priceless. He, he didn't know what to say. And Peter goes, it was, it was all the Holy Spirit, man. 100% the Holy Spirit. Just, I was, just had this boldness that came over me in that moment. And, 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 and you, know, you guys know me. I denied a Christ in front of a servant girl. This wasn't me. This was totally the Lord. The Lord had ordained this moment. And man, we just were obedient to the Spirit of God, and we got to speak the gospel. You know how we've been praying about how can we get the gospel to the Sanhedrin? We got that opportunity through a little persecution. Wow. Testifying of what God has done. There is nothing better than hearing what God is doing in your life. That is so encouraging. When we, that's why we gather together to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to shape each other. Listen, if you're living on past stories, then, hey, make some new ones. Walk with the Lord. Do what he's calling you to do. You know, he tells us to remember those things, to stay encouraged, but he, he's not done with you yet if you still have breath in your, in your lungs. He wants to do more. Peter and John are, are just amazed, and they're telling their story to these guys. Well, you know, at this point, once they heard the word p -p -p persecution, you would have thought, historically, the response to that, i.e. Jesus being arrested, is the disciples hiding in a room, locked doors, fearing for their life. That's the general response. Not anymore. Not anymore. The occasion for prayer leads to praise in prayer. Look at verse 24. And when they heard it, heard what? Heard the testimony of Peter and John. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of uh, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and why, and, and people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, Listen to this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
after hearing the testimony, um, Peter and John, uh, Peter and John their, their friends begin to pray by way of praise. Pray by way of praise. To exalt God, to thank him for all that he's done. To, to acknowledge that he is, what it says here, sovereign Lord. Now, I want you to get this understanding here. The, not, not all of the people in this room are praying now. Probably the, the idea is one person popped into praise and began to pray, and everybody is agreeing with that person. That's probably how it's going down. Not 100%. But, but the beginning of the prayer is this sovereign Lord. It's the Greek word despotes. Despotes. It literally means one who holds complete power or authority over another, master, ruler, lord. It's where we get our English word despot, which is referring to somebody who has power, such as a slave owner or somebody like that, where you can't talk back, you know, where you can't rebel against them. They have absolute authority and power. By calling God despotes, by calling him that what they are saying is, God, you are in control. You are 100% in control all the time. And you know what? We say that all the time, don't we? Hey, man, this is what's going on in my life. God's in control. I know. But we don't act like it oftentimes, do we? We don't act like God is in control. When something happens and it catches us off guard, my immediate response isn't, oh, well, God's in control. Is that your immediate response? Probably not. Generally, it's like, oh, no. Now what? I can't believe that I'm in this situation. And the Lord says, no, no, but it's by my hand and my plan that I predestined this. By my hand, by my plan, that I predestined this. And it catches us off guard. He's in control. Despotes, they say. And then they acknowledge that he is creator by going on to say, you are sovereign Lord of heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. You've created everything by your words. What in the world, you know, why am I fearing anything knowing who you are, that you are my sovereign Lord, that you are absolutely in control of every detail of my life, that nothing can happen to me? You know, I acknowledge that there is a spiritual realm. I acknowledge that there is demonic presence but I also acknowledge God is 100% over all of it. And I acknowledge that God will not allow Satan to do a single thing. I never give Satan glory, ever. Satan deserves zero glory. You know what? God's in control. I prefer to look at it this way. I don't care where it's coming from. I don't care if it's demonic in nature and it's oppression and all these things. That doesn't matter to me because God's in control. He knows what he's doing. And I want to be obedient to his voice. If he tells me, hey, speak a name of Jesus over that and cast it out, then I will. But I look to him. So many people are demon hunters looking for the enemy as if he's the one that's in control here. He's not. I remember the first time, guys, when I got released from that bondage of walking around thinking that Satan could do anything to me he wanted to. He cannot. God is in control. God is 100% in control. I don't, under, I, I don't underestimate the power of the enemy, but I know who is more powerful, and that's the one I hold on to. That's the one I cling to. I'm not looking to get in bouts with demons. I'm not looking to do any of that stuff right there because pr- I promise you, if you look for it, it will, pro- it will manifest itself. If you're seeking that out, you'll see it. But you know what? I prefer to see God because I want to see him. I want to see his glory. I want to see his power. I want to see him work in my life. Sovereign Lord, you are creator over all things. I'm, I'm looking to you and you alone, God. And then, and then they go on to quote Psalm chapter 2, which was a psalm written by David. And David wrote this psalm in a time when Israel was what it appears to be surrounded by their enemies, whether it was the Philistines, the Syrians, you know, all of those, uh, you know, of, of the um, Old, Old Testament, you know, uh, um, unbelievers and Gentile nations and such were, were coming down and bearing down against the nation of Israel. And it seems like 
David is writing relating to that. He's saying, Lord, we're being oppressed, but you're going to rise up an anointed one. You have a Messiah coming that will save us from all these kinds of things. That's the idea of what is happening. He, he poses a question at the beginning of the psalm. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, he said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Because they do that because they don't like God. They do that because they're being influenced by demonic presence and such, and they want to stand in opposition of the Lord. That's why they do that. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing in our culture today. If we could just get rid of Christians, the world would be great. That's the idea, to be honest. Because then we could just do whatever we want. We're standing in the way. David, the nation of Israel, was standing in the way for some reason. They just couldn't stand the fact that Israel was on the planet, so they want to wipe them off the earth. Has that ever changed? No. No, and that's why we know that is demonic in nature because it stands in opposition of who God is. God's chosen people, right now, here we have Turkey, we have Iran, we have Syria. They want to wipe Israel off the map. This psalm is as relevant today as it's ever been, folks. And here's the thing is God is still sovereign and it's by his plan that all things will happen. And my Bible tells me Israel ain't going nowhere. That's what, you know, we can trust God like that. You can trust God in your life like that. You can believe in him for these things. Why, why am I experiencing this, this persecution, this, these raging people in my life and such? The Lord says, hey, man, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to work in your life and just shape you a little bit. So let me do it. That's what he's doing. Why did the nations, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot? Because they hate God. He goes on. Um, in verse 26, back in chapter 4 of Acts, the, the kings in the earth set themselves and the rulers were to, um, gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Listen, even the enemies of God who are enemies against each other collaborate when it comes to God. We saw that with Jesus, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees are enemies. They don't like each other. They're not friends. And yet... They collaborate together to kill Jesus. Not only do they collaborate with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, this is just the people of Israel, the nation itself collaborating together, enemies within. But then you have the Romans collaborating. You've got, you've got Herod, who was Roman appointed. You have Pontius Pilate, Roman ruler. Then you have the, the Roman soldiers and the, the Gentiles that exist in and Jerusalem, and then you've got all of the rest of Israel who's rising up. They're all collectively collaborating together against who? His anointed, Jesus. It's exactly the way it was supposed to go down. It's exactly the way it was supposed to go down. God ordained this. What is God's response to this? I love what David pins in Psalm chapter 2, verses, two, verses 4 through 6. He says, he who sits in heaven laughs. And the Lord holds them in derison. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Is God moved by any of this? No. No, why? Because he's in control. If he wasn't in control, he'd probably be moved. He probably wouldn't be laughing. But because he's 100% in control of all of this. He's orchestrating, it's ordained. You know, the idea is that God uh, set this in motion. This is the way that Jesus would come and redeem the people. This is the way he would do it. Now, I don't pretend to fully comprehend the sovereignty of God, but the Bible talks of God in that light, in that light that he's fully in control of it all. What is it that God can't take care of in your life? What is it that he can't do right now in your circumstances? What if he's using those circumstances right now to draw you closer to him? What if he's using it to shape you in some way, shape, or form? Don't despise the chastising of the Lord. He's doing something in the middle of everything. He doesn't waste pain. He doesn't waste your uncomfortableness. He's doing it all for a purpose. He doesn't necessarily orchestrate every detail, but he's over it all. And he allows it. It has to fit in his plan or he doesn't allow it. Period. That's what it means 
to be sovereign. Here we have the nations rising together, coming against the Lord, and it says, um, you know, in verse 27, for truly in the city there were gathered together against the holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It was all part of the plan. What is being prayed here in this moment, I think, is something to this effect. God, you are sovereign and your plan prevails no matter what. So help me not to stand against it. Help me not to be praying against your plan, in other words. God, I want to surrender to your plan because we say your will be done. Your will be done. Uh, you know, we are, we are on mission here, folks. Hey, my son is stationed in Germany right now. He's on mission. Is, you know, as much as he would love comfort and peace and all the amenities that the American life brings, he's in Germany on a base that they have not much. They got a gym. He can produce some more uncomfortableness, a little bit more suffering. But he's suffering. He's suffering for, for the sake of us, for our freedom, you know? And, and the Lord's telling you, you're gonna suffer in this life. This isn't the end all for you. You're on mission here. You got something to do. God's doing something. Don't miss the point. If all you're seeking is easy street and comfort, you will miss the mission God has for you. You will miss the mission God has for you. God puts us in uncomfortable places. You know why? Because that's where the people that he wants to reach are. It's where the people, if he kept us all comfortable and kept us all, you know, then we wouldn't probably leave this place. We just, well, you could make me uncomfortable, I guess, because we're all sinners. But, but the point is that he puts us in uncomfortable places. Sometimes it's just for us. But what I find is often way bigger than I can even understand. He's doing something. He's in control. Nothing is by chance. Listen, don't forget this phrase, it's all part of the plan. Turn to the person on your left and tell them right now, it's all part of the plan. Come on. It's all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. You know, it's hilarious because when I, wow, you guys are on full-on conversations, like, it's all part of the plan. What are you going through? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's awesome. Listen, when I wrote those words... When I wrote those words in my sermon notes this week, yeah, a couple days ago, actually, I got a call immediately after this. I don't think that's, nothing's coincidence, folks, nothing. Immediately after, I get a call from my son. Dad, you should hear the car. Listen to this. And it sounds like a jet engine. And I'm like, what did you do? I didn't do anything. I was just driving down the road. And immediately I'm like, kick, 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 kick. because what you don't know is I despise car problems. I don't know why. Probably because they cost money. And I despise them, literally. And it, it was hilarious because I just wrote this. And so I'm like, okay, well, son, you know, and, and I'm, I'm trying not to lose my salvation here. Like, I'm on the phone with my kid, and I'm like, okay, I got to get off the phone. I'll <laughs> just bring the car home, click. And I walk into my room, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, man. And the Lord, in a still, small voice, says this to me. Tim, it's all part of the plan. And I just said, oh, my gosh, this is a test. I just wrote that. Am I even listening to my own sermons? <laughs> It's all part of the plan. What if every circumstance that we encounter, we just said, man, it's just all part of the plan. I don't know. I'm not talking about stupid decisions you make that put you in bad places. I'm talking about things that just happen to you. It's all part of the plan. But that is part of the plan too. He knows. It's all part of the plan. Listen, I took that test. And you know what? I got a solid 80 on it. Solid 80. I didn't, I didn't get 100. I'm not going to even imagine. I'm not going to tell you that I did it super great, but I got an, I got an 80. I might have got, got a 40 last time. But God is working on me, and he's working on you. 
And when these circumstances come, what we have to do is remind ourselves of what the Word of God says. It's all part of the plan. He knows what he's doing. Listen, Jesus was on the cross because that was the plan. From day one, before the foundation of the world, he was slain. That was part of the plan. I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea what challenges you have in your life. But if they're, uh, you know, if they're unbeknownst to you, well, maybe they're health issues or whatever, you know, it's all part of the plan. God knows what he's doing. You seek him. You hold on to him. But most of all, you trust him through it. I love that they are understanding this. God, you predestined this to happen. That means foreordained. From the foundation of the world, he foreordained this. And this was going to happen. Nothing is by chance. They now recognizing this, that God has a plan and his plan's going to take place no matter what. They turn their praise into petition. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, as they continue to pray, look upon their threats. Who? The Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin all of the nations that are standing against them, the, the, the uh, nation of Rome. Uh, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, listen to this, the, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. After the disciples had finished praising God for being in control of all things, for executing his plan as he sees fit. They sense that persecution is not going to stop. They know that. It's, it's just, a, just the wisdom that God has given. They know that it's not going to stop. It's part of the plan. And we know 2,000 years later, yeah, it's part of the plan. Why? Because the church grows when the church is persecuted. For, for whatever reason, when you stand and you are willing to take a bold stand for Christ, whether that means, you know, taking on some affliction or even giving of your life, there's something that happens in the human brain. On the opposite side, by the way, when they're inflicting pain on you, like Muslims are to Christians today, and they cannot comprehend why Christians are standing their ground, why they're giving their lives up for Christ. Who would die for a lie, folks? E even in that moment, God is doing incredible work. He's, he's speaking. He, it's evangelical in that sense. And people get saved as a result of this, folks, because they stand for the Lord. I, I, I love that they understand this. Persecution's not going away. And here we are in our country that's, what, 246 or 47, whatever it is, uh, like that's trivial, but anyway, uh, you know, how many, ever, how, how many ever years our country has been in? I think it's 247 or something. Here we are today, and we don't understand why the church is being opposed. I don't understand it. Why is the world coming against us. We're a Christian nation. No, we're not. No, we're not. There are no Christian nations. There's Christian people. There's no Christian nation. A nation can't be Christian. There can be Christians in a nation, but not the opposite. And that's dwindling, by the way. It's dwindling. God, Jesus told us to expect persecution. His disciples remember his words, maybe, in this moment. Persecution's not going away. So they move to a place of petitioning God. What are they asking for? This is the right prayer. They're asking that God, they're not asking that God would change the hearts of their persecutors. Lord, will you just change the hearts of these persecuted people that they would just leave us alone, Lord? No, that's not what they're praying. They're not praying that at all. They're not looking for a way out they understand that through all of this, God is doing something, and they just want to be a part of it. So they're not asking to be taken out of the trial. They're asking to be strengthened in the trial. They're asking to be used in the difficult places. 
They're asking for God to give them a supernatural boldness to stand firm for him in these moments. Hey, you know what? The disciples are acting like buffalo here. Do you know that? They're acting like buffalo in the midst of this. What do I mean? Do you know what buffalo do when a storm is coming? They run into it. You know what cows do? They run away from it. Why do buffalo turn and they run into the storm? Because they know the storm's not going away. There's an intuitiveness. Cows are just like, oh, I'm going to go this way. Think I'm going to get out of the storm. And, and guess what? You know what happens to the cow? They stay in the storm longer. As the storm's coming and they're running away from it, they're in the storm longer. Buffalo are smart enough to know, this ain't going away. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go straight into the storm because that's the fastest way to get through it. The fastest way to get through a storm is to turn and run into it, not run away from it. And they're saying, I understand the storm's, the storm's coming. Lord, we want to run into the storm. We want to run into this stuff. We're not seeking it out, but we're not going to cower from it. We're not going to stay behind closed doors and locked doors and such and fear for our lives. We're, we need a supernatural boldness from you, God, to go into the world and speak the truth to people. We're running into the storm. Listen, that's what Christians need to do today. We need to be buffalo. We need to run into the storm, not run away from the storm. Uh, you know, half of us are oblivious and act like the storm's not even happening. What are you talking about? Hello? Are you serious? What are you talking about? Look around. Listen, this has nothing to do with America. Everything that's happening here has to do with Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with America. I could care less about my freedoms and all these kinds of things. But you know what? At the end of the day, what, what I care about is standing for Christ. The Lord has ordained all of these kinds of things and, and, and all of that, but we're not, we have to be careful we don't become nationalists. We're Christians. This isn't our world. This isn't our place of, to, to live. We stand, yes, and we want to we stand for Christ and all of those kinds of things, but be careful you don't start to fight the wrong fight. You know, we want to preserve the blessings that we have in this country and all of that, but I'll tell you, if you stand for Christ, you'll do it. If you're standing for Jesus, you're going to do those things because everything that we, we're being affronted with right now is in direct opposition to Jesus. So we stand for Jesus. These guys are running into the storm. They understand that. And it says, oh, now, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak the word with all boldness. They ask for what they need. And then they continue on, and Lord, stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so they, they say, Lord, we need boldness, but we also need that matched with supernatural miracles that will authenticate our message. Why are they saying that? Because that's what just happened. They understand that in this, in, in this day and age, there is no written word of God. They, they need something, they need an authentication by God in order to be approved by those in, in their midst. The proof of that is in a miracle of some sort. When a miracle happens, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, or last week, you, you were, if you were, if God used you to do a miracle, then you were brought before the Sanhedrin and they, they asked you questions about that miracle. Where did that power come from? They were looking and that was the right questions. They were supposed to do that according to the law. The reason they did it is because they needed to know, are you trying to draw people away from God? Or are you trying to draw people um, towards God? And, and that was the point. It's in, it's in Deuteronomy, it's in Leviticus. They were, uh, Deuteronomy 13, I believe, that they were supposed to test the miracle. And here's what they did. They brought Peter and John before the Sanhedrin they, were, they tested the miracle, and you know what? They, they couldn't speak against it. They couldn't speak against it. It was real. There's not a single thing they could have done in that moment. So what do they do? They just let him go and tell him, don't speak in Jesus' name. And then Peter says, just again, one of those wisdom things from the Holy Spirit. Should we obey God or man? You guys decide. I love that. I love that. He just says, put it, put it back on God's hands. 
God, we need you to work miraculously so that our voices, so the message that we're bringing can be used by you. It was the right prayer. And how do we know that? Because we see what happens in verse 31. It says here, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you know what happened in this moment when they were praying? The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happened. I talked about this last week. You can go back and listen if you missed it. But the word filled and baptized, it's the exact same thing. The exact same thing happened. This is not something that they were looking for. This is, they, they were asking for it here. And it can come that way. But as Peter was walking, you know, into the temple, he was baptized in the Spirit. He was filled in the Spirit, and he, gave, he was given faith to heal that guy. You know, when they were brought before the Sanhedrin, Peter was given boldness to speak the Word. That was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Here again, the baptism in the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit, the same idea. It's an empowerment for the purpose of being a witness. And that's exactly what happened. That's what they were asking for. Lord, Give us supernatural power in your spirit to be able to speak in a, in a way that will uh, confound the wise. That will move people, God. It needs, to be, it needs to come from you. It can't come from me. God, give me the ability to trick people with my words. That's not what they're asking for. They're asking for empowerment. Why? Because they're afraid if they don't have it, they won't respond right. And we all know that that is, a, that is the danger for every believer. Is that when we're put into a position where we need to make a stand for Christ, if we're not walking in the Spirit, we probably won't have the power to do it. We can't do this life on our own. That's why we need to be in that continual communion with the Holy Spirit at all times. Lord, in prayer, in fellowship, in the Word, asking the Lord to use us in these ways. Here they are, they, be, they begin to petition the Lord and immediately it says that the ground was shaken. The ground was shaken, why? Because God wanted them to know what was going on. You have what you've asked for. You have what you've asked for. And they, they were baptized with the power and it says they went on, they continued on to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't cower back from the culture. God heard their prayer and answered instantaneously. Why? Because they were praying the right prayer. This is the equivalent of saying, your will be done. Your will be done. When you pray, why, isn't, why doesn't God answer your prayer the way that you ask for it? It's only because of one reason. Why is it? Because it's not his will. If it was his will, then it would happen. His will will happen. His will will happen. And so we, we rely on God. This, this is, there's a balance between the, 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 the sovereignty of God and the, you know, and the responsibility of man and all of this. But when it comes down to this stuff, God has a plan for our life. And no matter what I want to do, I'm not going to change that plan. That plan is ordained. It's been given by him. He created all of these works that I'm to work. He did that. I didn't. He created them. Ephesians 2.10, you can look it up. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he created beforehand that we should walk in. He has a plan. I'm not going to change that plan. I need to walk according to his will. You know, and for however that works with his foreknowledge and in the middle of all of that, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe one day when we're in heaven, we'll be able to understand all of that. But here's what I do is I surrender to the word of God. It says he's sovereign. It demonstrates his sovereignty. It says he has a plan that things are predestined, you know, that, that, that his, his foreordained plan for us is going to happen. And so we trust in that. We pray the right prayer. Lord, don't take me down easy street. Take me down the, the, the street that brings you the most glory. And if we were to change our minds about the way we think about that, our lives would change drastically. Rather than, you know, and again, it's not wrong to pray for yourself. I mean, Jesus, even in the model prayer, says, you know, you know, provide for me, Lord. Help me to forgive people and these kinds of things. It's not wrong to do that, but 
What if the focus of our prayer was, Lord, do whatever you have to do to get, get glory. Use my life in whatever way you have to use it in order to get glory, Lord. Do what you need to do, God. You know, there's a song by Third Day, and I'm going to close with this. And it was old school Third Day. It's called Take My Life. And in that song, you know, when I first heard the lyrics, I was like, what? You know, please take from me my, what? Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. Do you know that's a biblical song? It's a scriptural song. But sometimes I'm singing songs and I'm not even thinking about what I'm saying. And then I think about it and I'm like, wait a second, do I want to do that? Lord, please take from me my life. That's the right prayer. That's the right prayer. Why? Because it's all about him. It's all about him. Make it all about him. Make it all about him. And you know what? You will. He will help you to have that buffalo mentality of running into the storm and not running away from it. Understanding that he has a plan that's foreordained. That whatever's coming, he's going to see, see us through, man. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but he does. And he's got a plan for you. Trust him in it. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we ask you to fill us, God, with these kinds of the right prayers, God, as we live out our own lives and consider all the things that have, been gone, on, that have gone on in our lives and the circumstances that have come, Lord. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we try and understand it all and we can't. But, Father, may we just this morning resolve in this thought that you are sovereign and that you have a plan and you want to work in our lives. And, and you know, you work in partnership with us in the sense of, you know, us surrendering to you and walking in your spirit and such. But at the same token, as your children, you know, you, you take us down difficult paths to, to change us, to shape us, to make us more like you. So, God, help us not to despise difficult things. Help us not to despise the challenges that we're put in in this life, but to, to just recognize it's all part of the plan. And so, Lord, this morning, I know that there are probably many circumstances in this room, people going through difficult things, even on Mother's Day, as we, Lori prayed earlier, just thinking of moms who have prodigal children and, and all of these kinds of things, and how difficult that is from the human standpoint to, to just rest in you. But Lord, we pray for supernatural peace and for resolve to know that you're at work. You're doing something. You haven't forgotten any single one of those children. And you're at work even right now. And it doesn't have to be us. It can be many other people. Father, we pray for sickness and for financial difficulties and for all of the circumstances we might find ourselves in this morning, God, that you would help us, Lord, now to just surrender ourselves to you and to trust you more. So we lift it all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.